Hey, what's up, everybody? How you guys doing? So good to be with you. So good to have you with us. For all of you online, I know we say it every weekend, but we love you dearly, and we are so glad that you join us. In fact, if you all came in person at the same time, you'd be our biggest service. That would be our biggest service. So you are an important part of Cape Christian, aren't they? We love our online. Yeah, yeah, church online. So awesome. So three words, three words, justice, mercy, and humility. We've been talking about these three words for the last three weeks And we've been coming out of Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where God gets real clear real quick. And he says, God has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what is it that he requires of us but these three words? To do justice or to do justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly. And so we've been looking at each of these for the last three weeks and we've walked it backwards intentionally. And so Two weeks ago, I talked about walking humbly and how uh, in order, I think, for us to talk about mercy or justice, we have to understand humility. And it kind of requires three things. If you remember, we talked about walking humbly requires the right view of God, the right view of ourselves, which will then hopefully and should lead to the right view of others, which then leads us to last week where we had an incredible, historical, powerful weekend. Um, Our friend from World Vision, uh, the team from World Vision, Pastor Bernie was here and we talked about loving mercy. He talked about the good Samaritan. He talked about leaning in and action and intimacy. And um, I am continuing to be blown away by my church, this incredible group of loving, generous people. We adopted, we sponsored 420 kids this last weekend from World Vision incredible. Um, uh, the whole idea was um, to help. We got two villages in Zambia, Moyo, Muchillo, and uh, incredible what we were able to do. They had their party this Wednesday, and 420 of them got to go and pick. And so if you were one of those who were here last week, you got, uh, you, you said, I'm, I'm willing to be chosen. That means this week, some kid chose you and your envelope is in the lobby. You can go after service and pick it up. The team is out there. They're going to help you uh, with that. I got mine right here. I can't wait to share it with my family. Um, And so you can pick that up. Uh, Also, I realize you may not have been here last week. You're like, wait, child sponsorships, what happened? We talked about mercy can't just be something we talk about, but we do. And so um, World Vision made it really easy, $39 a month. You can make a lasting lifetime impact in a kid's life. And so whether you maybe didn't do it last week or maybe you didn't even hear about it, we do have an opportunity. You can jump in this week as well. Um, You just have to do the same thing that we did last week, which is text the word Cape Christian, all one word, to 56170. And you're able to do that. And we put together just a little video of of us last week and the Zambian villages and our kids. And so I wanted to show you what this last week was for Cape Coral, Cape Christian, as well as Moyo and Mochilla, Zambia.
what I love about that is that's not just some National Geographic video. Those aren't some kids somewhere. Those are our kids. That's our village. We are making a difference in a corner of the world because you leaned into the words of Jesus in loving mercy. And if you weren't here last week, the whole chosen idea was in order to restore more dignity, instead of us pick the children, we just say yes to sponsoring a child. We upload our photo and they choose us. So all of us, we get to find out who picked us this week. And it's kind of nerve wracking uh, to find out. Uh, I want to know, I, I just want to make sure my guy didn't have to go last. Um, Think about it. So, but yeah, so we said a goal was 500, and that was a goal. We already exceeded our expectations, but I, man, if we, we could get 80 more, we could get to our goal, and if we get no more, we have made a huge difference, and you guys are incredible. So somebody say, walk humbly. Somebody say, love mercy, or type it if you're online. Now, that leads us to the third and final week, which is do justice. Somebody say, do justice. Once upon a time, there was a village, a town, that was located right on a river. And one day, the, the townspeople decided to have a picnic along, right along the river, went out to the edge and had a great time, had a jolly time, had a great time. And as the picnic was taking place, they, they picked a spot right around the bend of the river, and uh, somebody, one of the townspeople, noticed something. They noticed that there was uh, some bodies floating down the river. And so one of the townspeople went and got their boat quickly and decided to go check it out, and they found that all of these bodies were alive. And so they quickly, two of them were badly injured and wounded, and they took them to the shore and, and got them to the hospital where they were uh, nurtured and they were nursed. They were brought back to health and taken care of. And then they realized that the third one was a child. And so they also nursed the child, and they, they helped the child and uh, got him back to health, realizing he had no family. There was a family that, in the village that stepped forward that day and not only nursed him back to health, but took him in as their own and adopted him. And every single day, every day after that, a couple of bodies would come floating down the river. And so the town responded with mercy. They responded with generosity and compassion. They started uh, building hospital, a hospital. They started a care center, a school. They built uh, an orphanage, a good one that took good care of kids. There were even some families that would come forward each day or each week to pull some of these kids into their home and adopt them. And every day they did this, and they were taking care of these bodies that were floating down the river. Until one day, a couple of the people in the town decided, instead of take care of the bodies down the river, let's see what's going on. And so they got their backpacks and their water bottles, and they strapped on their boots, and they went up the river. And they thought, what if rather than taking care of these kids and these people every single day, we could get to the root of the problem? We could set things right from the onset. And instead of taking care of kids coming down the river, no more people coming down the river. See, theirs was a mission of justice. Theirs was a, a calling, a leaning into justice. It was to deal with things at the root cause and to set things right. To go to the problem and set things right. And this story I just told you is the best picture I could think to give you of what the Bible means when it talks about justice. Now, I realize that when we say the word justice, especially in this time in history, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and it has many different contexts, legal justice, social justice. But I wanna talk about what does the Bible mean? Well, what does the Bible mean, church? Aren't we? Okay, you're all looking at me. What does the Bible mean 
when it talks about justice. And so my, my goal, my really my only goal today is to actually convince you that the entire storyline of the entire Bible, from cover to cover, is actually a story about God's justice. And so we're gonna have a conversation about that because justice is actually a central theme, if not the central theme of the entire Bible. And it starts on the very first page. So a story, somebody say there and then. There and then. In, if we're gonna tell the story of God's biblical justice, where's a good place to maybe start? The beginning, okay, cool, in the beginning. So in the beginning, there was a creator. And this creator had all kinds of authority. And so we see this creator, God, asserted his authority, asserted his power, and brought something from nothing. In fact, he asserted his authority over chaotic darkness, and he created life that would flourish. Follow this, you have to understand this. He asserted his authority and his power over chaos and over darkness, and he created order and brought about light that flourishes, and he did it in six days. Go ahead and throw that up there. In six days, he created this unbelievable. It was first it was light, then it was sky and land, then it was land and sea, then we got planets and luminaries, and then we got birds and fish, and then we got animals and all kinds of things, and then man. And so we see from the very beginning, what is it that God does with his power and with his authority. And we have to understand this. On page one, what does he do? He brings light and life into chaos, into darkness. If you ever wanna know what God is up to on the planet, the good, beautiful planet that he created, I can tell you what he's up to. He's bringing light and he's bringing life into the chaos and the darkness. He takes his power and he creates something beautiful. He actually creates an environment where life can flourish, but he does something crazy on the last day. He creates one creature that's actually different than everything else he created. See, in the beginning, he made this world that's really, really good, full of awe, full of beauty, full of wonder that would bring delight, and he actually created it in a sense in a such a way where it had the ability to regenerate itself and flourish and reproduce all the more. And he packed this world, this beautiful world with potential so it could continue to grow. But he created one thing that was different than all the others. He made one creation that was actually formed in his image, his likeness. And then he put that creation in his, the rest of his creation and their mission was to actually reflect the creator in the creation. This one creation was meant to reflect the creator who asserts his authority and power and creates light and life out of darkness and chaos into the creation to reflect him. In this creature, in the Hebrew word was the word Adam. We know it as mankind or humanity, and it's set apart from all other creations. And here was the responsibility and the role of that creation was that they were to be a co-ruler or a steward or even a, to govern, if you will, with the creator over the rest of God's good, beautiful world with all this potential to maximize its 
potential. And so God planted his image and appoints the human species to do the exact same thing on his behalf, which is to assert our power, to assert our authority so that we can create life that flourishes and not just some life and not for some people, but for all. And so he did that. In fact, at the very beginning of the first page, we see it, it reads like this, Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make Adam or let us make man, mankind or humans in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule. Somebody look at somebody else and say, you rule. It's such a 90s thing. Rock and roll rules. So that they will rule over what? All of it. All of it. The fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, and over all the creation that moves along the ground. And so we see from the beginning that humans are physical representations of the original architect, the creator God, Yahweh, this creator who has, again, the authority over darkness and chaos and speaks life and light and time and weather, and he takes chaos and brings this organized, beautiful life that flourishes so that we were ruled. So what we have to understand about ourselves when it comes to biblical justice and the storyline from page to page is that, that humans are physical representations of God's own self. We are physical embodiments of God's authority to do what? to rule, but not rule the way we think we should rule. Rule the way he rules. And so there's this fundamental idea at the very beginning that is awesome, and it's this, that all humans, all Adam, all Adam, which is male and female included, are equal before God, and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness, no matter who you are. That's like a great place to type amen. It's real quiet in here. <laughs> but I'm guessing online, you are so shouting me down right now. All humans are created by God and are equal before God and have the right to be treated with fairness and dignity, regardless of who you are. I love that Pastor Bernie said last week, just because you have less doesn't mean you are less. But there's just one major problem that we've gotten wrong from the beginning. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. Also at the beginning of this story, that image-bearing creation, he did one thing, he gave us free will. And it did not take us long to exercise our free will 
and sees both independence and autonomy from the creator, thinking that we knew better because in the beginning, he created good and evil in such a way that what was good was good for everyone and what was evil was bad for everyone. And so we, since then, have started defining it, starting at the fruit of the tree. And now we define good and evil, not necessarily what's good for everyone, but it's very much in our own self-interest, what's maybe best for me and my tribe, even if it's at the expense of you, your tribe, your gender, your economical status, or whatever. Are you with me? So Adam and Eve rejected the ways of God. They blamed each other. They hid from God. And since that moment, there's been a broken relationship. A broken relationship between human and human. A broken relationship between human and God. And a broken relationship even within human and the good world that he created. They said, hey, help me co-rule this thing and let's, let's maximize its potential. And so this whole thing became a mess. And real quick, early on, in about the seventh, eighth, ninth page, it says God was sorry he even created anybody. Kind of hit the reset button, wiped them out. We'll talk more about that next year. <laughs> Kept a few left. And then he says, and then God immediately instituted a new plan. And so out of this whole mess, God chose one man who was not that different than anybody else that was going to start a new kind of family. He was gonna start a new kind of community and they were to be set apart. They were actually gonna live by a different set of values than the rest of the messy, broken world. And that word for a different set of values and set apart is just the word holy. It, they were to be holy. And this man's name was Abraham. And he said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. We're gonna start a tribe. And Abraham was to teach his family and his tribes and them, their kids, and them, their kids to keep the way of the Lord by doing justice and mercy and righteousness. And they were, again, to look different, to be set apart, uh, again, and to have a different set of values and even the way they treated not just each other, but the other side. Are you still with me? So that was the plan. And it kind of worked a little bit for a minute, but they couldn't help but get it wrong. And so from the beginning, we've never really seen this idea of biblical justice really take hold. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So from the beginning, it was a, a mission of justice, mishpat. Somebody say mishpat. You've now learned a Hebrew word. Congratulations, you're bilingual. But this word mishpat means, again, we have to understand it means so much more because it is, it's, it's this idea of seeking out and leaning into the vulnerable, but it's also going up the river and finding out why the bodies are coming down. Do you, do you hear that? Yeah. Mercy is taking the bodies in. Justice is stopping the bodies from coming back. And so justice we have right here is this idea of seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them, whether it be on an individual basis or on a systemic level. And here's what I love about biblical justice. If biblical justice were to happen, all the other people crying for all their versions of justice would happen as well. Social justice is an extension of biblical justice. Legal justice is an extension of, uh, all that really justice is, is it's some sort of marginalized, oppressed, or pushed down person going, this isn't fair, right? Mishpat. And the whole idea of it's not fair, that's the creator's idea. He was the one who said, it's not right. It's not how I created things to be. And so 
For us, God says, there's three things I really want you to focus on. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And you, if you look for it, you actually see this all throughout the Old Testament, in Scripture, and in stories, as well as in the New Testament. Real quick, let me show you some. Proverbs 31 says this. Uh, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights uh, of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of who? The rich and wealthy, the poor and needy. Jeremiah, another prophet, said, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor who has been robbed. Don't do wrong or violence to the foreigner or the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Psalm 146, seven through nine says, he being God upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. He sets prisoners free. He, the Lord gives sight to the blind, lifts up those who bow down, and the Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the foreigner. He sustains the fatherless and the widow. Look at that. We, look at what we're talking about. Widows, foreigners, those who are bowed down, blind, prisoners, hungry, fatherless, widow, foreigner, poor, needy. Are you starting to see a pattern? Anybody who's on the outside, on the margins, that we are to lean into and go, let's bring them up. And he says, there's that one last line right there. It says, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Somebody say wicked. wicked. See, again, if we would understand what the Bible means, it would help so much because that word wicked, so many people have been beat down and oppressed. You're evil and you're wicked. But again, when you understand what the Bible means, that word wicked, another Hebrew word, ready? Rasha. Somebody say rasha. Rasha. It literally just, it doesn't mean you're the, a, the defiler, the worst of the earth. You know what the word means in the Bible? It just means guilty or in the wrong. Guilty or in the wrong. What does that mean? Wicked in the Bible refers to anybody who mistreats another person and ignores their dignity. So guess what? I'm wicked. Guess what? You're wicked. You're evil. You're guilty. Oh, what was me? No, 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 no. It just says that there's a problem. I have mistreated people. Gosh, I mean, middle school, hello. High school, hello. Yesterday, hello. <laughs> Veterans on Sunday, hello, right? Anybody? So we, we get like, oh, I'm offended. I'm no. When we, we understand, like, I can't believe God called me wicked. Well, have you ever mistreated anybody? Oh, all the time. Well, then you're wicked. Does God hate you for it? No. In fact, He has a plan. It's the best plan ever. And so, wicked is just anybody who doesn't treat another image bearer like an image bearer. And so, big, biblical justice we see is a big deal to God. And so here's the deal. Real quick, fast forward to the rest of the story. This is what God's family, Abraham, was to be all about. But we start out the story in Exodus where they're actually slaves oppressed in Egypt. And so God declares Egypt and Pharaoh, what? Russia. He declares them wicked. You're not doing this right. So he says in Exodus 3, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to set you free. And they're like, this is awesome. Let's go. And he wants you to have a promised land and you're going to live different. You're going to live by the set of values. And it's going to be so amazingly appealing that the rest of the world is going to want to be a part of it too. And they totally messed that up because we see really, really quick that so often in history, and this goes back thousands of years, that history shows that when the oppressed gain power, they almost inevitably always become the oppressors. And that's what Israel did. And God's message to them was not, I didn't bring you out of Egypt so you could start oppressing people. I brought you out of Egypt so you could live different. So you could show the world something they've never seen. And the ironic tragedy of the story of evil, these, these redeemed people, is they committed the same crimes that they were victim to in Egypt. And so God 
Then, want to know the rest of the story? After like kings and David and Solomon, when they finally get the kingdom established, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet to declare Israel what? Guilty of Rasha. You're mistreating people. Stop having slaves. Stop mistreating foreigners. Don't live like everyone else. And so let me just help you with the 39 books in the Old Testament. They got it wrong for most of it. So much so that God said, you know what? I already promised I wouldn't wipe you out again. Rainbow. So new plan. Here's what we're going to need. We're going to need a new king. We're going to need a new kingdom. And we're going to need somebody to show the world what this is all about. And so he promises a new king and a new kingdom. And they are so excited, but it never happened. They kept mistreating people and nothing happened. They were warned and nothing happened. And 50 years went by and 100 years went by and 200 years went by and 300 years went by and nothing happened and he didn't come and he didn't come. And now all of a sudden you got... Uh, you got like a Persia taking over Israel in the north. You got Babylon taking over Judah in the south and nothing happened and nothing happened in three, four, five hundred more years. And now you got Assyrians taking over the Persians and the Babylons and oh my gosh, and we're just serving one kingdom after another. We're on the wrong side of this until in the northern part of Galilee, this crazy locust eating guy shows up. His name was John. And he said, guys, guess what? There's a new king and the new kingdom is here. And God's plan was Jesus. And his response to humanity's legacy of injustice and we cannot get it right was to give us a gift and the gift was himself. And it was Jesus, it was God in the flesh. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, there's one of my favorite scenes. If you understand, there's so much in this, I don't have time because we're almost done. But Jesus shows up on the scene. And what you need to know about the custom in those days is they were still committed to the word and the scrolls and different tabernacles and different temples had different scrolls from different, um, you might have Isaiah or you might have Jeremiah, different prophets. You might have Micah, you might have Ezekiel. And they would walk up and the attendant would just hand them that and you just read whatever you're given. Well, one day Jesus walks in as a rabbi and he just happens to be given a scroll that happened to be written by a guy named Isaiah hundreds of years ago. And it says it in Luke 4, but it's actually what was written in Isaiah. And it says this, I love this, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And it says this, uh, Jesus opens the scroll. And it says, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recover sight to the blind and set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What you need to know about the Lord's favor is they believe that's the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, there was supposed to be a giant reset button where every slave got to go home, every prisoner was set free, and every debt was wiped clean. And he said, I came to set prisoners free, help the oppressed, lean into the marginalized. And that, he's reading Isaiah. And then he does what I think is one of the coolest things Jesus ever did. He rolled the scroll up. He handed it to the attendant, and he sat down. And everybody's looking at him, and he goes, oh, by the way, what you just heard is fulfilled in me right here, right now. They had heard Isaiah before. They had heard Isaiah before. They had never seen Isaiah lived in the flesh, and they had never had anybody come and go, I came to show you how to get it right. I came with all power. 
I came with all authority, not to lord it over you, but to assert my power and my authority into chaos and into darkness and lean into the widow and lean into the sick and lean into the oppressor. And I'm even gonna heal some of the Romans while I'm at it so that I can create light and life that flourishes. I know how I created this thing to go and I'm gonna show you how it works. I know we messed up in the beginning. I know Abraham's people didn't get it right. So here's the best part. I'm starting a new kingdom. And it's not of this world. It was the one that we were supposed to get right in the beginning of the garden, and we didn't, that Abraham was supposed to create, but he didn't. And here's the best part. No more Israelites and Jews and Gentiles. No, 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 no. Anybody who wants to be with me, you get to be in my kingdom. Just say you're with Jesus. And so Jesus spent his entire adult life doing three things. Doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. He did it with a woman in adulterer. He did it in a woman at a, with a woman foreigner at the well. He did it with a, a tax collector that he called one of his disciples who was a sellout. He fed all the hungry people on the other side, the enemy. He healed and set free demon-possessed people on the other side, the enemy. He healed some of the Romans and their kids who were oppressing them currently. He touched sick, contagious, maimed people, even on days you weren't supposed to do anything. He included women in his ministry, more in that on the uh, Got Question series. And he brought all kinds of dignity to women, children, marginalized. And he opened his arms to a community of people who didn't have anywhere else to go. And he said, just tell them you're with me. And then he died. He fell victim, watch this, to injustice. Voluntarily made himself a victim of injustice but rose again, and when he rose again, the creator from the beginning we heard about, he declared Jesus the righteous holy one. And then Jesus said, but I didn't do it for my righteousness. I fell victim to injustice, and now I'm the righteousness, and anybody who would choose me or has been fallen victim to injustice, you can now be the righteousness of God if you will give your life and your heart to me. He did it on behalf of the guilty, and he offers his life to the guilty, the rasha, the wicked and the evil. He offers his life for anybody who's ever mistreated anyone, anybody else. He offers you his life, so you get to be declared the righteousness of God. But you have to say, I'm not gonna have my identity anymore. I'm gonna identify with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And then he invites you on his justice mission. And the New Testament is a justice mission. And the Old Testament is a justice mission. And you and I get to be the righteousness of God, not ever because of anything we have done, but because of what he did. It's why Paul says this in Corinthians. He's writing this to a group of people who grabbed this. And he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new Adam, a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so here's what happened as we close. Jesus went into heaven and he said, don't worry, I'm gonna give you my spirit. And when he left, he compelled his first followers to act in such a radical way that if they, they thought this, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, then the only response for us that's reasonable would be for us to declare someone else righteous when they don't deserve it and be like Jesus. It wasn't easy, it wasn't convenient, but it was radical. And so this group of people started courageously making other people's problems their problems in a Roman empire where they were oppressed and a movement started. It was called the church. It was called the way originally. They were called atheists because they didn't have rules. They just took care of people. Did you know the first Christians 
were originally called atheists because they didn't freaking care about rules. They just took care of people. And when you take care of people and you do the right thing, the rules take care of themselves. And so they weren't into a religion. They were following a man who embodied justice and light and life and healing and regeneration and reconciliation, who did it all right and then fell victim to injustice so that those of us who have done it wrong can be claimed to be right because of what he did. And he invites every single one of us into it. And that's what he meant by love your neighbor as yourself. It's what Micah meant when he said, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And so what happened when a big group of people took Jesus at his word? The church was formed, and the world has never been the same since. And so the church, we are what happens when his kingdom comes, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. See, remember at the very beginning, the whole idea was I'm going to put my image in the creation and we're going to co-rule and we're going to be like the creation to the creator, to the creation. And so there's only one way his kingdom is going to come and there's only one way his will is going to be done. How is it going to be? Through his image bearers who co-rule with him in the way that he wants to rule. Do you see that? So we can pray all day long, God, we just want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. And so his response would be, okay, let's go then. Let's lean in. Let's go find some people. Let's go pull some people out of a river or let's head up the river. Either way, we gotta do something. That's the whole story of the Bible. And so as we close our service and our series, again, another week where I don't wanna just preach, but I wanna give you an opportunity to lean in. If you've never heard anything like this, this would be a great weekend and a great time for you to say, I'll be a part of that kingdom if what you just said is true. Oh, it's so true. I'm gonna spend a bunch of time and next year breaking it all down and we're gonna zoom in. But I had to tell you the big picture story because it's too good of a story not to tell. Because we're the wicked, we're the victims, we're the broken. And he did that for us so we could be like him. And now he invites us on his justice mission, not a social justice mission, a biblical justice mission. And again, like we said last week with this corner of the world in Zambia. We don't have to change the world, but let's make an impact on somebody's life. And so when you sat down, you were all given a card. Can I see one of those? I was supposed to bring one up, but I forgot. When you sat down, there's a card. And on here are just four, six of our ministry partners because we wanted, again, give you another opportunity, not take an offering, not necessarily give money, but for you to put your time, your energy, your power, your resources, whatever God's given you, and we wanna invite you to assert any power or any authority you have into any sort of chaos or darkness so that you can help life flourish for somebody. And so there's six on here really quickly as we close. One of them is four kids. Here's what you need to know about four kids. They provide training for better foster care parents, but they also do free access for trauma, uh, trauma-informed therapy. They're the only ones that do that. They're just moving to our side of Florida. Incredible. All the links are right here. There's a QR code. You can check out any of these. This might be something that God's saying, I want you to lean in and I want you to help some people in foster care. Then there's Better Together, our ministry partner, my friend Megan, we've done a lot with them. Better Together is actually keeping families together and children out of foster care, as well as helping um, people who are, are having a hard time getting employed, find employment so they can keep their family together. We love Better Together. Maybe God's calling you to lean into them, volunteer, or just be a respite family where sometimes to keep a kid out of foster care, they just need a home for three or four days or a week or two until mom or dad gets a job. Another one is Church on the Streets. 
uh, family right here in our church every Tuesday goes into Cape Coral and feeds the homeless community, and there's probably a bigger homeless community here than you realize. We pray for them, we feed them, and we just love on them every single Tuesday night. We'd love to have you join us. Samaritan's Health and Wellness is one of these. Number four, uh, years ago, uh, Cape Christian birthed a medical center providing holistic, Jesus-centered care for the uninsured and under, underinsured, and people all over the Southeast America come down here now to Cape Coral to Dr. Sue and her team, medical counseling, all of it, Samaritan's Health and Wellness. They're continuing to grow. They're incredible. They've been a huge part of our church for a long time. Thrive is a ministry that we've been a part of for a long time. They're a safe haven for pregnant women, single mothers, and their kids to be empowered, uh, get jobs, stay in school, stay together. Again, we are partnered with all of these ministries, meaning we volunteer with them, we give money, we resource them, we help them because we want to lean into the justice story that God is telling. And then lastly, Valerie's house over in Fort Myers, which we help with, we'll be doing work with them again this year for Serve Day. Um, no one should go through grief and unimaginable loss alone, and so they exist to help children and families work through the loss of a, a parent or a child. And so there are six opportunities for you. You can scan the code and give you more opportunities. And then we put a prayer on the back. We're going to pray this in just a second, but the prayer on the back is just God opening our heart. Lastly, there's also an opportunity to sponsor more kids in Zambia, and so you have the opportunity to do that. I mentioned that on the front end. Also, we... I wanted this shirt. I told the team, make me this shirt. And they told me, anytime I wear a shirt, you crazy people want to buy them. So they made a bunch more that you can buy. And all of the proceeds go to these ministry partners. So anything that we're doing is towards the work of justice that we are an extension of. So you can buy one. You can sell one. You don't have to do anything. Again, hear my heart. I don't want your money. I want to invite you into God's justice mission. And if you're here and you've never even been a, a, a part of God's family, we're going to pray and you have to just say, I'm in. You make that decision in your heart. Say, I'm going to follow Jesus and you can be a part of this as well. Uh, the disciple of Jesus said it this way, 1 John chapter 3. He said, dear children, let us not just love with words or speech. Come on, somebody. But actions and truth. Let's not just say the right things. Let's be a part of the story of the kingdom of God that when I pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I can know that I'm doing my part in his. And we can say this prayer. If you've never had a relationship with God, we've made that easy as well. There's a code you can text and we're gonna walk with you and we can baptize you and give you all the resources you need. But I just wanna invite all of us this weekend, I wanna read this prayer together. You can follow along online with us, if you will. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand to your feet, grab your card, and we're just going to read this. I'm gonna read this out loud and I'm gonna invite you to say this prayer with me. You got your card. Will you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, open my eyes to see the hurting and the vulnerable in my world as you see it. I want you to use me to bring light and life amongst the darkness and the chaos. Break my heart for what breaks yours. May your kingdom come and your will be done through me in Jesus' name. Amen.